If you have your Bibles with me, I invite you to turn in them to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can follow along. The passage will be glowing behind me. Three weeks ago, we began uh, our study of this first century letter to the churches in the region of Galatia, this central portion of what is modern-day Turkey. And the correspondence is written by a man named Paul, a former Pharisee. A Pharisee was a religious zealot in the Jewish nation. A former Pharisee turned pastor, one who is now a follower of the Nazarene Jesus who was publicly executed and then rose from the grave and indeed appeared to this former Pharisee, Paul, and transformed his life. And Paul has written this letter to the church and has spent his customary greeting time, which is a staple of ancient Near East letters, he spent his customary greeting time in large part, defending his reputation, defending his message. And he's certainly more concerned about defending the latter, but he has to talk about his person in order that his authority might be defended as they come to the message that he proclaims. The message is the Gospel. The Gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for sinners. The good news that has endured for generations that has never stopped being attacked nor stopped being perverted. And so we've looked, we've begun to look at the Gospel as Paul has presented it here in the book of Galatians. A Gospel given to him not by men, but by God Himself. A Gospel that proclaims the life and death of Jesus as a substitute for our lives, for our deserved death for sin. A Gospel of free grace that rescues sinners like you and me. And a Gospel that transforms us and makes us different people. That's just some of where we have been in these first couple weeks beginning to unpack really what Paul is going to spend the entirety of this letter doing. Unpacking the Gospel. But today, even before I read the passage before us, uh, the, autobi- the autobiography continues. Paul is still talking about himself. He's still talking about his own experiences because he's again seeking to defend himself against those who are maligning him and the message that he brings. Paul's not simply sharing these things that, they, that, that his readers just might know where he's been and what he's done, but to bolster the credibility of his message. And so I want to give you, it can get a little bit confusing, especially as we, there's six days before we, we come back to it. I want to review with you the timeline. So Paul was converted by Jesus, the risen Christ, who appeared to him on the road to Damascus somewhere around the year 32 A.D., And he recounts that in the first chapter of Galatians. Then he speaks of going for three years after that conversion into Arabia. 
We don't know quite what he did in this region of the ancient world. Was he preaching? Was he studying? Was he meditating on the Old Testament scriptures? Was it a combination of all those things? But he spent three years in Arabia. Then he visited Jerusalem. And he saw just two apostles, Cephas, who's Peter, and James. And that was in about 34 A.D. And so that's what's happened already in chapter 1 that he has recounted in this letter. Now, as we jump into chapter 2, fast forward more than a decade. So now we're 14 years after Paul's initial conversion. It's about 45 A.D. So a few years before he's going to write this letter is what he's now recounting for us in chapter 2 as we begin with chapter 2, verse 1. So, let's jump in. Listen as I read. If you would, stand out of honor of God's Word. Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. Listen as I read. Paul says this, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might again bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the Gospel might be preserved for you." And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the Gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the Gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the Gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. 
So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Amen. This is the Word of the Lord. Well, maybe you're sitting there thinking, what are you going to do with that passage? What could we possibly gain from all of that detail? And I don't want you to get lost in the detail. I hope to frame it in such a way where you walk out of here kind of understanding what Paul was doing in chapter 2, what his, he is doing. But here's where I'd like our hearts to go. As I thought about this passage, as I studied this passage, here's where I'd like to suggest our hearts go. I'm going to read another verse to you. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Paul says to the church at Corinth, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. And here's the key phrase. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Those 16 verses in chapter 2 of Galatians, it's a pretty phenomenal account, recollection of events in the life of the Apostle Paul and in the life of the early church. But friends, it's more than just history. It's more than just mere information. It's God's Word. And I believe that God's Word is given to us this morning, that Paul's convictions and actions are given to us this morning as a picture of what we in the church, what we as the church of Jesus Christ, ought to be striving for. Whether it's 50 A.D. or 2020 A.D. And so, having that verse from 1 Corinthians 10, 11, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Having that in the back of our mind, I have three exhortations that I'd like to give that I'd like you to hear this morning. And this, the second two build on the first, but here's the first. Walk with gospel courage. Now again, this is an exhortation to the church, to those of you who know and love Jesus, who have bowed the knee to Him. Walk with gospel courage. Now what do I mean when I say that and where do I get that from this passage? Well, I'm actually taking that verb walk from verse 14 of our passage. If you have your Bibles, you can see it there. He says, but when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. We'll get to the point that Paul was making there in a little bit, but for now I just want to focus on that Greek word, orthopodeo, which is translated here in our ESVs as in step. You, you can hear in step in orthopodeo, can't you? Ortho. Right? What does an orthodontist do, kids? He, he or she straightens teeth. So ortho is straight. 
and podeo. Like a podiatrist. What is a podiatrist? It's a foot doctor. And so straight feet is literally what that word is in verse 14. And the point, according to verse 14, Peter and Barnabas were not walking in line. They were not walking straight with the truth of the Gospel. And I would say they weren't walking with Gospel courage. And so Paul, on the other hand, wants us to see in his example, in what he does, both his courage in the Gospel, secure in who he is in Christ Jesus, as a son of Jesus, as one entrusted with a message, and his courage about the Gospel, about the message that he has been given, and its implications for all those whom he speaks it to. Walk in Gospel courage. Now let's back up. You remember the issue. Paul has established these churches, these young churches in Asia Minor. He had proclaimed the good news. He had established them in the faith. And then false teachers had come in and they were adding to Jesus. Salvation is more than just faith in Jesus, they were saying. It is Jesus plus. Jesus plus Jewish customs and rituals. Jesus plus adherence to the law of Moses. Jesus plus circumcision. And this group in the early church became known as as the Judaizers, those who confused the faith of Judaism with this new faith Christianity. And now that confusion has come to the churches in Galatia and Paul is more than concerned. He is incensed. He is dumbfounded. How could you abandon this? This is not a, a, a nitpicky doctrine that Paul is, is, is arguing about. This is, this is the central issue in the church. How are we saved? And so the reason why he's recounting all of his travels and interactions, as I said, is to bolster his credibility, defending his message, and I think today we can see modeling for us what it means to walk in Gospel courage. And that brings us to the second truth. Walk in Gospel courage by proclaiming freedom in Christ Jesus. Walk in Gospel courage by proclaiming freedom in Christ Jesus. Now freedom, that's a buzz word in our day and age, especially this week. That's, that's a word getting airtime on both sides of the aisle, as they say. Freedom in religion, freedom of choice, economic freedom. We in America will fight for our freedoms at all costs. Whether good or whether bad. Paul stresses in this passage, you hear it, that the Gospel is about freedom. That's the language in verse 4. That the freedom in Christ is being threatened by those who want to return to the Jewish slavery to the law. 
And specifically, the issue that comes up here again and again is this issue of circumcision. Just this one Jewish rite among many, this sign and seal of the covenant of grace uh, for the Old Testament people of God that pointed to Yahweh's promises. And Paul says that sign and seal, though important, though given by God, had served its purpose. It was no longer needed with the newness of what Jesus brings. The law of God was and is good, but it was never meant to be a pathway of being made right to God. Instead, it was meant to be a clear pointer of how much we desperately need an alien righteousness something outside of ourselves, someone outside of ourselves who can do and has done what we could never do in and of ourselves. And that's what Jesus has done. And so He says to His readers in verse 16, by works of the law, no one will be justified. And it's that truth that's essential to get right as we talked about last week. We must get the Gospel right. And today Peter is talking about, or excuse me, Paul is talking about this gospel freedom must be defended. Isaiah 61.1, the prophet says about the coming Messiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. To do what? To proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prison to those who are bound. And so Jesus Himself says in John chapter 8, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So the message of the Gospel is about freedom. Freedom from any add-on to the work of Christ. And to press that home, Paul is relaying to the church here that this message given to him divinely by Christ in no way contradicts the message that's coming out of Jerusalem. Because that's where all the big dogs of this young Christian church were, right? That was the hub of this church. And Paul says, my message doesn't contradict theirs. It's the same Gospel. And this is where we really, this is where we really begin to see Paul's courage. First off, notice, notice who he brings with him when he recounts going to Jerusalem to kind of make sure that his Gospel lines up with the big dogs and what's being, uh, what's being taught and proclaimed. He brings with him Titus. Titus, an uncircumcised Gentile. What did Titus have? Titus had faith in Jesus. That's all he had. No conformity to Jewish lifestyle or rituals. No circumcision. No family line. Titus just had Jesus. And Paul brings Titus in with all the big dogs, all the apostles there in Jerusalem, he says, all right, here he is. What do you guys think? Is he one of us? 
And Paul relays to the Galatians here that Titus was accepted as he was with no add-on, no Jewish add-on. All Titus needed was Jesus. And that took some courage. That took some confidence to bring a test case like that, an exhibit A, and to put him in the, in the room. But also, and you probably heard this as you were reading, notice that, that Paul isn't starstruck. It's one of the things that, that struck me as I was reading this passage. Paul is in no way starstruck when he goes to Jerusalem. Remember, Paul is, Paul is the new addition to this Gospel team. Right? Paul was not a man who walked with Jesus when he was physically on earth. He's not a man like Peter who saw Him being crucified, who denied Him and then was restored later. He didn't have this... this he, he never physically hugged Jesus like these other men had. But the way that he speaks of these pillars of James, Peter, and John is not with fear, but as equals. Paul doesn't feel inferior to them. He knows what he believes, and he believes it to be the truth. And indeed, the the confirmation of this message had been given to him. Verse 6, they added nothing to me, he says. They didn't add anything to me, but they extended their right hand. They said, you're one of us. And the Gospel that you were proclaiming, the Gospel that you heard from the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus, is the same Gospel that we have been taught by our Savior when He was here on earth. And that Gospel is freedom in Jesus. Walk in Gospel courage by proclaiming freedom in Jesus. We know what this looked like in first century, in the first century church, but what about us? Well, before I get to us, what about Luther? What about Martin Luther? How appropriate is it that we're coming to this passage on Reformation Sunday, talking about gospel courage? Because just over 500 years ago, a monk half a world away would come to understand the freedom of Jesus for the very first time. And he and others like him would make a stand against the powers that be. A scary stand against the powers that be. Against the Pope himself. In order to bring about reformation to the church. We know the story. It didn't, unfortunately, it didn't reform the church. It just broke the church apart. But it did reform the church as this new church, this Protestant church was formed to proclaim that Jesus is all that we need. Gospel courage. We celebrate it today. But what about us? This message of freedom in Jesus has been entrusted to us. 
And what kind of message is it? It's a message of exclusivity, isn't it? It's a message that offends. It's a message that causes many to stumble because what did Jesus say? No one comes to the Father except through Me. And what does the world do? The world pushes back and says, how dare you? How dare you judge Me? How dare you claim to have the truth, to know what I need? And then the world goes on and they say, Christianity isn't freedom. Don't talk to me about freedom. Christianity is just a power grab. It's it's replacing the bondage that you say I have for another type of bondage. What do we say to that? Will we have courage, gospel courage, to proclaim and to stand by the claims of Jesus above all others? To lovingly say, That freedom is not about the removing of all constraints. That's not what freedom is. A fish in a field is not free. An eagle underwater is not free. But you put those things in their environments, what they, what they were made to live for, what they were made to strive for, and wow, will they flourish. And that's what the Gospel says. You were created for God. You have been redeemed by Jesus. He's all you need. And when your life is found in Him, your life is life. That's the Gospel message that we have. And it's such good news. And so enough of our world's wishy-washy spirituality personally deciding this or that. No, it's freedom in Jesus. And then as we, as we come into the church, since the Galatians were dealing with things inside the church, enough of, in the church, enough of new interpretations of Christian orthodoxy and doctrine that has been held to for centuries upon centuries upon centuries. Enough of your new interpretations. You know the truth. Walk in it with courage. Firmly rooted in His Word. And and, Don't hear me wrong. We've talked about this isn't a license to get combative and argumentative about every little issue. We've already talked about there are issues that are issues. Little I issues. And then there are issues that are big I issues. This is an issue. Walk in courage by proclaiming freedom in Christ. That's the second truth. And the last one is this. Walk in gospel courage, defending the church's diversity. Walk in gospel courage, defending the church's diversity. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, there was, there was an awkwardness in Antioch. You can hear it as Paul recalls. Beginning in verse 11 of our chapter, Paul fast-forwards from his time in Jerusalem, 
verifying that his gospel aligned with the pillars of the church, he fast forwards to a dispute between he and Peter in the city of Antioch. The the city of Antioch was, remember, the place where Christians were first called Christians. And many Gentile believers, Acts 11 tells us, had, had fled Jerusalem and had fled up to Antioch. And they weren't Jews. They didn't live like Jews. They were Gentiles like Titus who just loved Jesus. And when Peter arrived in Antioch, as Peter is surveying this young Christian church that he has been made a pillar in and and the rock on which it's going to be built. When Peter first arrived there, Peter treated these Gentiles no differently. He knew what God had desired. He knew God's vision for the church. God had told him explicitly in a vision, you guys remember this, in Acts chapter 10, when the sheet of unclean animals descended and the Lord told Peter, That what was once unclean is now made clean. And so Peter ate with these Gentiles. Table fellowship in the ancient Near East, we've talked about it. It's a big deal. It's an event. Who you ate with said something about who you were and what you were about, right? Remember how much trouble Jesus got into with those He ate with? You're eating with tax collectors and and prostitutes and sinners, Jesus. What are you doing? So here Peter is eating with Gentiles. These people who don't ceremonially wash their hands when they come to the meal. They eat all kinds of food that the Jews didn't eat. Unclean foods. They didn't follow any customs of the Jewish law. But it's okay. Because they're they're Christians. But something happens in verse 12 of our passage. A group comes, and they apparently come from Jerusalem with the backing of James, and Peter and Barnabas too, they cave. They cave in. Verse 12, he drew back and separated himself. And why did Peter separate himself from these Gentiles? Why did he stop eating them? The text says, out of fear. Out of fear. Suddenly, these Gentile Christians are put in their place by the pillars of the church. They're demoted to second-class status, and Paul is incensed. It's justification that is at stake. It's God's vision for the church that is at stake. And so what does Paul do? Paul goes toe-to-toe with Christian royalty, with Peter himself. And to his face... Verse 11, and before them all, verse 14, he openly rebukes Peter. We say, well, that was a little much, wasn't it, Peter? Are you just being proud? Do you like conflict? Do you like putting people in their place? No. This is a pivotal point in the life of Christ's church. Paul stands here, assures that Christianity will not be bound by a cultural identity. One gospel of grace creates one people of all races. 
And that doesn't mean that cultural differences ought to be ignored. To the contrary, they ought to be celebrated as part of the tapestry that God is weaving as one people under the Gospel. And that's why Paul with Gospel courage defends the diversity of the church. What about us? Well, I think if we're not careful here in 21st century America, we create our own standards, I think. We all can make cultural distinctives religiously valuable. What do I mean by that? I mean Jesus plus cleaning yourself up the way we were taught and are used to people cleaning themselves up. Jesus plus having this work ethic. Jesus plus abstaining from these things in the world. Jesus plus Western Protestant forms and feel. Jesus plus this political party or that political party. You see, we do the same thing. Rather than walking in Gospel courage defending the diversity of God's church, and making it about Jesus and Jesus alone, we can add things. Walking in Gospel courage defends the oneness of the church, a oneness built on Jesus that only the Gospel can create and maintain. Brothers and sisters, my encouragement to you, my encouragement to myself this morning is to learn from Paul. Not just the content of the good news, but the courage necessary to maintain it whatever the cost. Freedom in Christ. One in Christ. May God give us the grace. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we thank You for this account of the travels of Your servant, the Apostle Paul. We thank You for His example as we seek to imitate His Gospel courage as we seek as Your people, as Your church to defend the freedom of Jesus and Jesus alone. As we seek to express to a watching world how people of all walks of life and beliefs can come together under one common Lord, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one God and Father of all, and be the church. Oh Father, by Your Spirit, lead us in these things. Give us grace in these things, I pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.